Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. This episode of the Rural Woman Podcast contains discussion of mental health, mental illness, and discussion of suicide. These themes may be upsetting to some listeners. If you or a loved one find yourself needing emotional support or are in crisis, please note the following resources and phone numbers. Crisis Service Canada, 1-833-456-4566, or send a text to 45645. The U.S. National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, one 800 273-8255 or text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor in either Canada or the U.S. All of these phone numbers and text lines, as well as other helpful resources, will be listed in today's show notes. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today, you'll meet Adrian DeSutter. Adrienne is part of her husband's fourth-generation grain farm family in Midwest Illinois. They also have a small herd of cows and a small herd of chickens. With a degree in counseling and a devotion to build self-worth, Adrienne has set out to combat the mental health stigma in agriculture and help farm families recognize that their worth is more than the markets. She now works with farmers and egg organizations to promote healthy minds and identify valuable mental health resources. Through her social media presence, So Hope, Grow Hope, she encourages followers to share their truths and inspire hope in others. I am very excited for you guys to meet Adrian here today on the podcast. As I mentioned at the end of last week's episode with Scarlett Salamone of Loveland Acres, this month's episodes of the Rural Woman podcast will be focusing on mental health as it pertains to suicide as September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Now, I know this is a hard topic, and it was a hard topic for me to talk about and even harder for my guests to share about. But I want to take the time right now to thank each of them in advance for sharing their stories. Though no two of their stories are the same, each and every woman that you'll hear from this month all practically said the same thing, that they are sharing their stories in hopes that it will help at least one person, one family, or one community. So the discussion of mental health and suicide can be heavy for some people to hear. I understand that. And I understand that if you need to skip these episodes in the month of September, I get it. Or maybe if you have a loved one that you're able to sit and listen with, I encourage you to do that as well. These might strike up conversations with this loved one that you might not have had. So you guys have to do what works best for you. I don't think it comes as a great surprise to any of you that farm stress is leading to suicide in our farm communities. Suicide among farmers are 1.5 times higher than the national average. And it honestly could be higher than that as some suicides are masked as farm-related accidents. One of my goals this month is to continue to help end the stigma around mental illness and to promote 
mental wellness and mental health to my listeners and to our farm communities, as well as I want to provide as many resources as possible. So I will be adding all of the links and resources in the show notes for each episode. So please make sure you take a look at them, save them in your phone or save them wherever. You never know when you're going to need a phone number or a text line or any of that. It feels very weird to say that I am looking forward to talking about such a difficult topic this month, but I honestly think that it is so important that we we talk about mental illness and we talk about mental wellness and what the difference is. And I am looking forward to these incredible women sharing their stories and in hopes that it will help at least that one person. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's interview with Adrian. Good morning, Adrian. How are you? I am doing wonderfully this morning. I'm kid-free in my house, and so things are quiet and different. <laughs> We're going with it. <laughs> like I said before we started recording, I'm always super thankful for the moms that come on this podcast that have to do like the groundwork to get their kids either out of the house or giving them a snack and watching a movie or whatever magic it is that moms do <laughs> to get their kids to be quiet so mom can have a few minutes to chat with me. I'm always super grateful. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, we have a a four-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and just a one-month-year-old. And so we are recreating what that means right now to keep everything flowing here. And it's not always a pretty picture, but we did okay this morning. <laughs> yes, I'm super proud of you, and thank you so much for doing that. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> Adrian. for my listeners who are unfamiliar with you, tell us about yourself and who you are and where you're from. Well, thank you so much again for having me. My name is Adrienne DeSutter, and tell me about yourself is my least favorite interview question <laughs> because I think humans are really complex and people are really complex. We have a lot of things that define who we are, right? And a lot of times um, when people answer that question, they jump right to kind of what their job is, where they're at, what their status is. And we're so much more than that as people, right? So, you know, if you'd asked me five years ago, I would have told you that I was a school counselor and had, I suppose, just married my now husband. So that's kind of my background as far as professionalism goes. I have a master's degree in counseling. And if you'd asked me four years ago, I would have told you I'm a mom and that is 100% what defines me. There is nothing else to it because I had just had my first baby and was staying home and didn't really know who I was at that time, to be honest. But now, after some reflecting and some things that have happened in our life over the past few years, I am just someone who wants to make a difference. Honestly, I just want to spread a good message and get people, you know, loving themselves and caring about themselves and their families. So in a nutshell, that is who I am. I live in Illinois and have lived here all of my life. And that's kind of my story. I love that answer. Thank you for giving me the long answer of who you are and where you're from. Because like you said, we are complex human beings. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about ag mental health as we continue our conversation. But for me, I think that's one of our biggest problems is that in agriculture, we really define ourselves only 
within agriculture and only as a farmer or rancher. And we forget about who we are as a family member sometimes and who we are in our communities and just as people, you know, we forget to dig a little deeper than just the agriculture side of things. I really think it's important to set a good example that way. Yes, absolutely. You are a trendsetter, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I sound hip. <laughs> you are. <laughs> So you mentioned five years ago, you married your farmer husband. Did you grow up in agriculture or was this all new to you? So I did grow up in rural Illinois, about a half hour from where we live now, but I thought I would be not in a city. I knew I'd stay in rural life because I felt like it was really important for rural people, especially rural young people to kind of understand what else is out there and to choose if you want to come back to rural living or if you want to do something different because I'm just kind of passionate about making educated decisions, I guess. So I didn't intend to live around here. I lived in the country surrounded by cornfields, bean fields, but growing up, I could not have even told you what was in those fields, honestly, because I was so far removed from agriculture. I wasn't from a farm family. We we had like a cow, a calf every once in a while growing up that we'd bottle feed and, you know, use it for meat. But that was pretty much it. And then after I graduated from college, I worked for a university extension and did like a 4-H program where it was my job to teach elementary kids about agriculture. And it was the first time when I was talking to them about how like their cereal comes from the corn and the beans. It was the first time that I like put it together that the farmers grow the food that we get in the grocery store. And isn't that obnoxious that it took me 22 years to put that together? And I'm not a dumb person by any means, you know, but that's the disconnect that non-agriculturalists have from agriculture. And so anyway, that was kind of an aha moment for me. And it was a short while later that I met my uh, would-be husband farmer. And I actually was working at the school where he attended high school. I was a counselor there now, you know, at the time. And so, yeah, married into it. He's a fourth generation farmer. We farm corn soybeans with his family and we do have a small herd of cattle as well in addition to our small herd of children at home. (laughs) (laughs) A herd of children is very accurate in my eyes. (laughs) And it sounds like you and I have a very similar story of the coming of age of agriculture in like your early to mid 20s and realizing where your food actually did come from. And it's mind blowing. And for me, I grew up 20 minutes from where our farm is now. So it's not like I wasn't near a farm. It's just I had no idea about food production and how it was grown and raised and how it got to that grocery store. (laughs) Absolutely. And you know, what's so funny is my freshman year of college, I had some of my college classmates out to my home in rural America. And we drove by a lot of farms, obviously, a lot of fields and things. And I will never forget one of my friends looking at what were pig houses. There was a bunch of pig houses out. And she said, are those like children's playhouses? And I just laughed because I thought it was so funny. But then I'm like, but you know what? I really don't know exactly what they're used for. You know, I knew they were pig houses. But, you know, that's just it. It's like, even as someone who lives by farms, The amount of stuff I don't know, I mean, I'm sure it's just times a million when it comes to people who are so far removed living in suburbs or cities that aren't, you know, surrounded by this all the time. So yeah, it's quite a divide, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Well, and this just leads me perfectly into my next question for you, because tell us how 
you went from being a counselor to focusing on agriculture as a behavioral health consultant and agriculture wellness advocate. So as I said, I was a school counselor and then decided when we started having kids that I would stay home for just a short amount of time to raise them as, as young kids. And, you know, I was kind of looking at the time for a purpose. I mean, I knew that being a mom was 100% my purpose, but I didn't want to lose myself either. And so I wanted to make sure that I was doing something that was contributing to our family plan and who we were as a family. And agriculture at the time still does very much define us as the DeSutter family here. And so I was trying to kind of figure out what do I do with myself here professionally not to lose touch. And unfortunately, at that time, we lost a family friend to suicide. And it was at that time that my husband and I started having a lot of conversations about, you know, we hear about a lot of farmer suicides. We hear about a lot of farmers struggling in our area, across the state, across the country. We looked up some statistics at the time and we, we realized, we saw that farmers were actually one of the highest occupations for suicide deaths. And unfortunately, it didn't surprise us just because we know of some of the stresses that we were dealing with as a young family. And we didn't want to let ourselves and our family get to that point. We knew we had a unique position with my husband being so familiar with agriculture and with me being so familiar with mental health that we had to take advantage of that combination and do something to prevent suicide, something to address farm family stress. Because at the time, this was in early 2018, we just weren't talking about it at all. <laughs> we weren't seeing much at all. And there weren't many people working on this topic. So at that point, we worked closely with our firm bureau in Illinois. And I started kind of doing some presentations to help people understand what the connection was and how we can, you know, address our stresses instead of letting them bottle up and kind of talk about some of our resources and things. And that really just blossomed into a career because it's so the Illinois Farm Bureau had the courage to start, you know, having this conversation in our area, more businesses decided they were going to jump on board. And I eventually kind of partnered with the Farm State of Mind campaign that Bayer Acceleron had started that American Farm Bureau now has. And But anyway, I'm nervous, to be honest, because I was giving these presentations and I'm like, who wants to listen to me? You know, yes, I have a little bit of a background in this stuff, but how can I tell a message that's really important? Because I don't have a compelling story. And at one point, it just clicked to me. I don't want to have a compelling story in this. I don't want to lose someone in my house or to suffer from depression so deeply that that's going to be what it takes for me to talk about this more meaningfully. Um, so that's the story I have now. <laughs> our story is we were struggling with our own mental health in my home because of farming and because of the stresses that farm families face. And we did not want to wait for something bad to happen before we started to step out and talk. And so we decided to take control and, you know, practice what we preach sort of and take some steps to to heal, you know, and to live life a more full life. And, you know, so I, I guess some of just these personal experiences and the need for the conversation is what drove that career choice. That's amazing. And I just, I love everything that you said. There's a lot of things that we need to <laughs> decompress here and take apart here because you decided to be proactive instead of 
reactive when it came to mental health and suicide prevention in your farm family and your town and your country and your state and all of the things. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for having the awkward conversations because they are awkward. They are hard. But these are conversations that we need to be having in our families, in our states and provinces and all of the things. So thank you for doing that. Absolutely. And you're exactly right. I mean, it is awkward. And again, I'm a school counselor. So I have said the word suicide out loud hundreds of times, you know, because of that's the nature of learning about it and the nature of doing it. But to have those conversations with people that you know, people that you love, people that you don't even know very well, that is really the heart of what suicide awareness and prevention is and dealing with mental health is that we we have to be proactive. We have to be ahead of the stream. We have to get awkward and get uncomfortable. And I have a dear friend who had a suicide in their family. And she said to me afterwards, she said, you know, people don't even say my dad's name. <laughs> they don't even, they, don't, they won't use his name. He's the one who had died because they don't want to make us uncomfortable. And she said, we're already uncomfortable. We are already feeling this. Nothing you say is going to make us more uncomfortable. So step out of your comfort zone and have these conversations so that you don't have to be where we're at. You know, it's a lot more, a lot more uncomfortable on this side of things than to be proactive. Absolutely. That hit me right here, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff is, it's deep, isn't it? I mean, it's deep, but it's, it's real. Yes, absolutely. Well, and September is National Suicide Awareness Month. And like we were talking about before we hit record, I struggled to know if this is something that I should do here on the Rural Woman podcast, because I know September is a busy time and a stressful time for farmers and their families. And but like we said before, let's be proactive instead of reactive. And I think by you sharing your story and by the work that you're doing is helping that proactive approach. And, you know, I hardly even call it work and a job, honestly, because to be, this is all about advocacy and it's all about, like you're saying, it's all about getting to the farm families, getting this message to the farm families that, you know, they have a choice in their happiness and they have a choice to get help and, you know, pay attention to their mental health. Because if we're not talking about it, that's why we see, farmers at the top of these lists, at the top of the suicide list, at the top of the list of, you know, most numbers of depression or anxiety, substance use, even stress-related fatalities. We see farmers at the top. And what I mean is deaths due to heart disease, ulcers, things that happen as a result of stress. So we know farm families have a lot of stress. And unfortunately, we're losing our farmers because we're not taking enough time to acknowledge our mental health and learn about our stress and learn about ways to kind of cope with that. So unfortunately, you know, the stats aren't good for farm families, but there's something we can do about it. And I've got to tell you that, you know, the biggest number to me, the biggest statistic that sticks out to me amongst all those others is that when I go give a presentation and talk about mental health in general, and I ask, I always pull the audience Somehow, it's a little harder now with virtual webinars and things like that. But when I'm with a group of people, I always ask, raise your hand if you know of someone, of a farm family who has lost someone to suicide. Because we got to be honest about it. And the number of hands that go up every 
single time is heart-wrenching because it's almost everyone, every single time. So if you wanted to go about a meaningful statistic, that's it. It's those hands that go up in the air every time. And we look around and we say, holy cow, this is a big deal. This is not something we need to be quiet about anymore because suicide is preventable. And so, you know, we need to do something about it. And afterwards, the stories that people share that, you know, maybe they're not comfortable to share something, you know, publicly, but the amount of people who come up to me afterwards or send me a message afterwards that share some type of story, not necessarily related to suicide, but just the way that their family is struggling or someone they know has had an issue. And some are good stories and some are stories where we wish we would have intervened earlier. But those are the statistics that are most important is that these are numbers and stories of real people that I see regularly that are dealing with things that they shouldn't have to be dealing with. Absolutely. And to be in a room facilitating these conversations and to see these hands going up, that's not a number on a paper anymore for you. That is seeing real people struggling and sharing that they have lost somebody to suicide. And one hand is too many. And I think like we've kept on saying over and over and over, let's be proactive instead of reactive. So what do you think are some of the most common contributing factors to poor mental health conditions in agriculture? Well, in agriculture, we live quite a unique lifestyle, don't we? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you know, those of us coming into agriculture, not having grown up in it, it's a slap in the face. This is a different life, you know, because it is a lifestyle. It's not just a job. And, you know, luckily we hear a little bit now about mental health because of well, how poor the conditions were in 2019. And we said, just hold on, it'll get better. And then bam, 2020 pandemic. <laughs> so we've had a couple of tough years in agriculture, definitely. And so fortunately, we're hearing more conversation about this. But I think a lot of times the media goes right to the money as the problem, goes right to the, you know, people are losing money and so they're stressed. And I definitely think that is a contributing factor. I definitely think that, you know, these make or break conditions when it comes to trade and prices and, you know, weather and all these things that ultimately do lead to losing your money, losing your farm. I think that's what's different about agriculture is that someone can have a rough day on a job and get fired even, and they still can go find another job. But with agriculture, we just have this unique set of skills that it's just not as easy. And again, there's this feeling almost a pressure. You're running a business that your father and mother ran or your grandparents ran or even your great grandparents ran. And, you know, you're the one now at the position that could lose it. And so you feel that just constant stress. So I think that's what we read about a lot and what we hear about a lot when it comes to farm stress. But I want to make sure we recognize that it's not just that. There are so many other things that go into farm life that are stressful and that contribute to these conditions. So my husband and I, back in 2018, we wrote an article on mental health. And again, we weren't sure how it was going to go because this was kind of a first of its kind in our area anyway. And the response was overwhelmingly that people across our entire state were reaching out to us and saying, yes, this resonates with me, you know, my neighbor, yada, yada. Here's my story about myself. You know, it really connected with people. And so we were going, okay, mental health is a real thing. There's a lot going on. But we had one person who sent us an anonymous letter who kind of said to us, 
in a nutshell, you know, you don't have anything to worry about because you have enough money. I mean, there were some other things there too, but that was the bulk of their story is, you know, you have enough money that you shouldn't be crying right now. And I posted this on Twitter because it was a huge stab in my heart to read it because this person, this man had no idea what was going on in our home, had no idea about the family turmoil that we were going through at the time. And he was basically saying money is the only thing that can cause depression in agriculture. And that's just so not true. And so I posted this on Twitter and the response, again, was pretty overwhelming. All these people were sharing and commenting and, and liking it and saying, no, <laughs> you're totally right. It's not about money. It's about all the other stuff. It's about isolation, working in isolation. It's about not being comfortable venting to someone. My husband has a best friend that's also a farmer, and they talk about everything, and they talk farming all the time. But still, if there's a problem, he, he doesn't feel like he can always share the amount of our farm because they're sort of a competitor for us as well. So there's a, that isolation, that loneliness almost. There's a family conflict that, you know, not many people have to work with their family and then go home and see them, you know, at, at church on Sunday or, you know, work with them that evening or, you know, be surrounded by the family, which is also people they are coworkers with. So not having a, a break from that family is tough. And finally, you know, the word tough, I mean, that describes agriculture. We think we have to be manly and tough. And even the women feel like they have to just push on through and just kind of, you know, this is how agriculture is. You just have to do it. And I think that that is a pretty crappy mentality sometimes. I mean, if it works for you, then that's great. If that's going to be a motivator for you, fine, go for it. But I think for the majority of us, we need to also realize that being tough is more than just pulling up your bootstraps through every issue. Being tough also means being resilient. And resilience starts with adversities and it starts with feeling crappy and having bad moments and being allowed to have those bad moments and those bad feelings sometimes. And then when we're ready, knowing what it takes ourselves back out. So I think there's just so much that goes into poor mental health and agriculture. And it's just very complex and very different for each farmer. Absolutely. And like, you hit the nail on the head a million times throughout all of that. So, <laughs> Again, it is. It seems to be every time you talk about it, people are just nodding their head going, right? yes, that's our family. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. People just resonate with all of that because although every farm and ranch and homestead and all of the things, they're all different. There are so many similarities with the stresses that we all have. So, and I think that's kind of what brings us together as a whole and kind of makes you feel like you're not alone. But saying that meaning we need to talk about these things and need to be open about these things to know that we're not alone. Because if you're not talking about it, if you're not sharing, then people don't know what you're struggling with. Exactly. And I think that's kind of what when we talk about mental health and agriculture, you know, we're talking now. That is good. We are connecting. I mean, it's so amazing on Twitter, for example, or on social media, when one person steps out of their comfort zone and makes himself a little bit vulnerable by saying, I had a rough day or this didn't go right. The amount of people that can latch onto that and then vent their own stories or share encouragement or share resources. I mean, it just opens this line of communication and this dialogue that is so crucial. And it's the same thing, you know, when I see people, see groups of people, it's like, the minute that one person is comfortable opening up a little bit, 
the rest will start to loosen up and we realize that we're not in it alone. And it's amazing to me. It's amazing how many people say I had no idea that there were other families going through this type of thing or other farmers dealing with these same stresses. Because to me, it's like we're, we all are (laughs) to some extent in very different levels. You know, I think that's very important to mention though, is that it's not the same stress for everyone. You can be going through the same exact conditions on each farm and people take things differently and they all have different levels of stress. So, you know, being suicide awareness month, it's important to say that not all stresses lead to suicide. Of course, you know, we're not all at that point by any means. And so we have to acknowledge that those who are having suicidal thoughts or, um, or really are suffering from depression or anxiety, you know, those are very extreme amounts of stress that we need to look at in a little bit different way than the way that the rest of us look at farm stress, you know, it's a little more serious. It's quite a bit more serious. So we just have to make sure that we're acknowledging that those are kind of separate things that we have to deal with in a different way. Yes, absolutely. So you mentioned before in 2018, you and your husband wrote this article and you were vulnerable in writing this article because people weren't talking about mental health in agriculture and it didn't seem to be that much of a priority. Why do you think mental health has not been a priority in agriculture? Well, I think, as I said, there's definitely been some progress in the past couple of years. So I want to acknowledge that and just commend all businesses and all medias and all organizations and all podcasters who have had the courage, I suppose, to make it a priority to have this conversation because we are seeing progress. And the more that we talk about that, that this is something that we're talking about now, the more we encourage each other to do that. So I think that's great. But have we solved mental health and agriculture? Not even close. And I think part of the problem is there's a misconception about mental health. When we talk about mental health, when the average person hears that term, they automatically go to anxiety, depression, a loony bin, right? Or, you know, suicide, or each person kind of jumps to the extremes of mental health. And they say, well, I'm not dealing with any of that. So I don't need to read this article about mental health, or I don't need to go to this presentation about mental health, or I don't need to learn about it because I'm not there yet. And the thing is, is we all have mental health. (laughs) We all have health that is related to the way we think and the way that we feel and the way that we act. Okay. And so just because you may not have extreme feelings, you still have to take care of your mental health to make sure they don't become extreme. You know, the biggest tip I ever give anyone for managing mental health is to do it, (laughs) to do it now and don't wait for a crisis before you feel like you have to go talk to a therapist or get help in some way. We all need to know what are the things that frustrate us? What does our stress look like? Because my husband and I have very different, you know, stressors. He is a yeller. (laughs) When he's stressed, he gets frustrated and he gets angry. That's his way of dealing with something that's going on that's stressful. For me, although I have become a little more vocal, for me, my stressor is more just impatience in general, especially with my children, unfortunately. When I'm stressed, I have a harder time talking and sitting quietly and listening because there's something that's on my mind and I, and I can't get it off my mind. So again, We have to know about all those things. We have to know about them ahead of time. And that's what being preventative is. I guess I'm kind of going around about way of answering this question, but ultimately we all have mental health. We all need to make sure we're paying attention to it. And I think that when we start to recognize that, 
then it can be more of a conversation in agriculture. We still are really struggling with the mental health stigma or that negative connotation, right? And that's in general, not just in agriculture, but just in general, we just don't quite understand it. And so we fear it. We fear what we don't know. And in agriculture, that's tenfold because even though we're seeing people struggling, seeing deaths, we're seeing, you know, this stuff that isn't good, unhappiness, it's still something that we feel needs to be private sometimes, or we feel other people don't need to share sometimes. And again, it's, you know, we all just need to realize we all are going to handle things differently. And that for someone struggling, if talking and venting and sharing is what is going to help you feel better in those moments of stress, then that's what you need to do. And um, that's an important thing for us to, to be aware of. So hopefully we're seeing, you know, the progress in the media kind of shooting up and having these conversations more. And hopefully we continue to see that. Absolutely. And for me, I believe the first time I heard about mental health in agriculture specifically was at a conference that I was at. And I was like, wow, the anxieties that I have are normal here, are being talked about and are being shared. And since that conversation at the conference, I think that there's been such great work that has happened. And it also allowed me to feel comfortable and open to talk about the anxieties and the stresses and the depression and all of the things that I had been experiencing, uh, not necessarily directly related to farming, but just in general, because mental health affects all humans, not just humans in agriculture, <laughs> all humans everywhere. So having these conversations inside and outside of agriculture just allows other people to be vulnerable with their own stories and share. And like we've said a million times here, sharing is what is making this move further along. So that's great. Adrian, what is some advice that you have for someone who is struggling themselves or a loved one that is experiencing overwhelming farm stress? That's a really important question. And again, I want to thank you for sharing your own vulnerabilities and your own experiences a little bit because that's what helps us. That's what helps us connect. So I know it's not always easy, but it's really important. That is the advice I have. Number one is if you are at home or in your tractor or working on your fields and you're getting to the point where you're feeling hopeless about the way things are going, or you're feeling like you're becoming worthless, like you're not good enough. Or even if you're not to that point yet, even if you're to the point where you're just struggling and you have more unhappy days than you have happy days, talk about it. <laughs> just because that's the way you've always lived in agriculture doesn't mean it has to be that way. You can have happy days. You can have more happy days than bad days. And that's something that we really we sort of take advantage of and we forget about. We forget that, again, we get in our monotony of this is the way every day is going to go in our lifestyle. And it doesn't have to do that. It doesn't have to be that way. So if you're having those feelings, I really want you to think about, you know, if your wife or your children or your brother or father or mother, you know, anyone who you love, if you knew they were feeling that way too, and what would you encourage them to do? Would you encourage them to keep it bottled up and just deal with it and live that way? Or would you try to get ahead of it and encourage them, you know, to get help and to do better and to try to be better? And no, it's difficult, though. That's when, when you're the one going through mental health struggles, it is really hard to put yourself out there 
And so that's why it's really important that our loved ones also are, again, knowing what triggers each other. That's something in my house that we definitely, we've talked about a lot. My husband and I know this is what sets me off. These are the things that I can't deal with very well. So we work on that together and we work on what like, you know, when my husband comes home, if he seems like he's agitated, I've asked him before, when you come home like that, do you want me to ask you about your day? Do you want to be able to talk about that experience? And, you know, he says no. (laughs) That's how it is for us. You know, we know just by paying attention to each other and knowing the stresses and talking about what works for us and what doesn't work for us, at least within our home, make things a little less stressful. I don't want to add to that stress. You know, and I think that one of the biggest things for us is that idea of not having to fix everything. And that's something I talk about a lot. But when going through stressful moments, whether it's yourself or your loved one, the idea is you need to listen and we need to listen with empathy. The goal isn't that I have to say everything right. We don't have to be a doctor or a therapist. I don't have to fix this problem. I can't fix the weather, right? I can't fix some of the things that the breakdowns that happen that that frustrate my husband when he comes home. But what I can do is listen and pay attention and have empathy. Empathy doesn't mean, you know, just walking a mile in someone's shoes. Empathy means you know, thinking about what it might feel like for that person, not what it would feel like for me if the weather wasn't good, but thinking about what it would feel like for my husband when the weather causes such a conflict on the farm. And then, you know, that's what empathy is. And then sharing that and saying, I'm so sorry, instead of saying, well, you should have done this or, well, maybe next time this, those are those fix it terms. We're not jumping into that when someone is stressed, we're just going with, I'm listening actively. I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm looking at you in the eye. I'm nodding my head because I get it and I'm hearing you. And even if I don't get it, I'm going to say, I don't really understand this because I'm not in your shoes, but I can see that it's hurting you. I can see that you're really struggling with this and I'm really sorry because I don't want you to hurt and I'm going to be here with you and we're going to get through it. Um, So listening with empathy, those are important things. And I think for loved ones, especially women, because we do know that men experience stresses very differently than women. We know that men do have higher rates of suicide, uh, particularly older white men. And that's just based on statistics. But we do also know that women do experience much more depression and anxiety diagnosed. And so, you know, we've we've all got our stresses in different ways, as we said before. So women, I think it's important that, number one, we're patient with our spouses. For me, I will tell you that it took my husband and I two solid years of me trying to encourage him to seek additional help with some of the things he was stressed out about and for us to get to a point where we felt better in our marriage and in our home. I mean, that was two full years of trying not to nag, but also trying to show that we didn't have to live like this, you know? So patience is important, but it's also important to have our boundaries because we all don't control other people and other people's actions. We control our own. And that's where as women, we have to recognize that we cannot control our spouse and the things that happen. So if you are living in in such a way that is, you know, depressing you. You know, if your farmer, if your husband is struggling, but it's getting to the point where you're unable to live your happy life as well, you get to set those boundaries for yourself too. And you need to know at what point is it that you need to seek additional help or take some actions as well. So, you know, again, we all work a little differently, but listening with empathy, being patient and just communicating in general is my biggest piece of advice.
Those are solid pieces of advice that I myself wrote down. (laughs) (laughs) I need to listen to my own advice sometimes. Don't we all? (laughs) Not always, right? But those are the proven ones, I'll tell you what. Because when we're in the midst of struggle here, I have to do that sometimes. I have to walk away and say, okay, now wait a minute. What would I tell people? What would I tell people to do? And how can I implement that right now? And, and, And it really does. It makes a difference. Right. Well, and when you're in the thick of things, when you're in anxiety or when you're in shame or when you're in whatever it is that you're feeling, it's hard to slow down and remember those things. But I think it's so important that we practice all of those things on a regular basis and make that a norming in our homes and in our families. And I think if we all did that, then farming might not seem as stressful all the time. (laughs) Maybe. Fingers crossed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Practice, practice, practice. No, you are totally right. And that is what the research says too, that we, if we practice the things that relieve our stress, you know, on a regular basis, then when we're in those moments, it's easier for us to grab on to the solution. So you're totally right. For sure. So Adrian, do you have any resources that are coming to mind that are available for someone who's experiencing extreme stress or anxiety or their loved one is that you can share with us? Sure. And I guess the quickest answer is, you know, your primary care doctor is the person that you want to go to first because they can kind of help you determine what level of stress you're at. They can share different options, whether that's medication types of options, whether that's some different self-help techniques, whether that's going to a therapist. And, you know, that's definitely a good first step. You can also go directly to therapists. I know that there's several different websites in different areas, but I know in the United States, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration, I think is the SAMHSA, has a fine treatment option that you can look for treatment centers. Now, I'm not sure you know where all that expands to outside of the United States, but I know that psychologytoday.com is also a resource that you can find therapists in your area that are all accredited. So that's kind of important that people know what they're talking about. (laughs) And the thing is, I've got to tell you that therapy is awesome. It really is. And it's not always your first therapist that's awesome, but the experience, if you are patient and you find someone that you really connect with, it is really life-changing. It truly is. And again, I know that it's tough to pick up that phone and make that call. Right now, it's a little easier because there are some looser um, restrictions on telehealth. So the idea that you can have a therapy appointment in the comfort of your home or your chapter or wherever it is that you are, there's a lot of different virtual options that you can either call someone directly, again, your doctor or therapist, call them directly, or you can work with your health insurance as well to find some different teletherapy options or who's in your network. So ultimately, though, therapy is not for, I mean, it's for if you're in crisis, but it's also for anyone. It's for anyone that wants to be a better person, wants to be a better version of themselves and needs help getting there. So that's definitely the best thing I feel like anyone can do. But if that's not within your means or your interests, Even just finding resources online, a podcast like this is something that can really help someone through just a stressful moment. Egg State of Mind is another podcast and Transformation. Those are two different podcasts that are wonderful because they're solely talking about mental health and agriculture. And so again, it helps us kind of bridge those gaps. But I think what's really important that we remember is that our biggest, biggest, biggest resource is really each other. 
we have to be the ones, we're on the front lines, right? And we know that the people who need help the most are not necessarily going to reach out for it. And so we have to be that resource. We have to share with someone if we see them struggling, hey, I, I see that you're struggling here, or hey, I see that you're not coming to our Sunday morning coffee anymore, or you're not coming to church anymore. That's okay, but is there something going on? You know, just having those conversations can literally be life-changing for a farm family. And we have to just make sure that we trust ourselves to be and, and be that resource for someone. Absolutely. So good. And I am a big advocate for therapy and counseling and all of the things. I, for the longest time, was so hesitant to ever go and talk to somebody about anything that I was feeling. And like you said, your first therapist or your first counselor might not be the one for you. I kind of chalk it up to the same thing as dating. Like maybe you didn't marry your first boyfriend or girlfriend. You had to kind of play the little bit. I feel like it's the same for therapy. You might have to find the right therapist for you, but it's honestly worth it just to have that neutral third party to chat with and just kind of release everything all in one hour and you leave there feeling relieved, I promise. <laughs> absolutely. No, I love it. Dating, that's a perfect analogy because you're absolutely right. And you have to trust that the, it is a process. You're not going to go there in one session or two sessions and feel like everything is fixed and solved in your world. But it's just so wonderful to know that there is someone there that's really advocating for you. I mean, your therapist, they want you to be better. I mean, that's what their job is, is to help you get better you. And so, yeah, it's a really awesome process. Yes, for sure. Adrian, it has been amazing chatting with you this morning. I'm so happy that I was able to speak with you, have all of your kid wrangled into one safe spot. <laughs> all right. Do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to share with the listeners? Oh, you know, we've talked about a lot and I could talk for hours on this topic, but I think the most important thing for everyone to remember whether you're in a farm family or not, whether you're going through just a stressful day or going through a stressful year, things always get better. And maybe it's not going to happen today and maybe it's not going to happen tomorrow. And maybe it's just going to be in short little moments of betterness, right? But there are better days and better moments ahead always when you're in those low moments. Life is a roller coaster, right? It's not an upward hill. It's an ups and downs. And what we have to be able to do is acknowledge that. Acknowledge that things are not always going to be okay, and that is okay, but they're always going to get better. They may get worse before they get better, but they're always going to get better. And so we really have to just find ways to kind of enjoy that ride. Many, many thank yous for having me here and for having these conversations that hopefully make a difference. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing your story. For the listeners who would like to connect with you online, where can they find you? So I am on both Twitter and Facebook. I am not cool enough for Instagram yet. I apologize. <laughs> Maybe someday when the kids are out of the house, I don't know. <laughs> but I wanted to choose a handle or a name that kind of exemplified that power that we have to be a resource and really make a difference. So you can find me at So Hope, S-O-W-H-O-P-E, Grow Hope. So Hope, Grow Hope on Twitter and Facebook. And I think it's important to acknowledge that I am not your therapist. So you are welcome to reach out for me you know, resources. I share all sorts of tips and stories that I think make a difference, but I don't do therapy. But 
I think it's a little bit unique to follow me just because I'm like this. I just kind of talk real and I'm not going to share a bunch of statistics and, you know, stuff that isn't cool to talk about or not interesting to talk about. What I want to talk about is what's really happening and try to resonate, um, you know, with everyone there. So definitely feel free to follow and become one of our, our hope growers. I love that. A hope grower. And I have to say you are a bright light in the egg Twitterverse. For me. <laughs> I am much more of an Instagram person versus a Twitter person, but I thoroughly enjoy following you on Twitter and all of the great things that you share over on there. So guys, if you're not on Twitter, give it a try. <laughs> see, see you like it. <laughs> I wish I could do more, but with having the three young kids, I don't always post all the things I would like to. But yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there. There's so many resources out there and things that, like you're saying, just can make you feel a little bit better in a moment of stress. That's what my goal is, is just help share little things. That's so great. Well, thank you again so much for joining me on the Roll Woman podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time. Next time.